Hello and welcome back to another episode of my series, The Mad Moon Podcast, in which I speak to predominantly other nurses and healthcare professionals about mental health, mental wellbeing and all things taboo. If you haven't listened to me before or you haven't listened to the most recent episode, um, then I'll give a little bit of um, background. So today's guest is one of three add-ons that make up the business A-Game Consultancy. So the first Adam we spoke to was Adam Mayhew. Um, this is Adam Hindley and the last of this kind of bonus episode, uh, bonus episodes will be Adam Smith. Um, but like I say, today is Adam Hindley who is a physiotherapist and personal trainer. So A-Game Consultancy, the way they kind of market and sell themselves is they help burn out high performers reset their health. Now, before I talk a little bit more about the Adams and, and what they do and what today's episode is about, I will just apologise for my breathlessness and explain um, what that is all about. It's not COVID. <laughs> um, I'm sure most of you who have listened frequently and regularly will know that I'm pregnant um, and I'm actually nearly 34 weeks now and I'm exhausted and my lungs are in my throat, I believe. So please excuse the breathlessness. So back to today's episode, as I said, we've got Adam Hindley on. He's so lovely. He he really had me laughing the whole way through this. Um, I've never known somebody throw so many quotes and analogies out there, but they really had me, um, had me laughing the whole way through. Hence why it's called There's Five Frogs on a Log, which, by the way, I have used that many times since recording this episode. So just a few warnings, as I always have to do. I don't always use the best language, I keep forgetting my vocabulary, definitely have some baby brain going on so please excuse that. There could be, as always with mental health, some potentially triggering topics and mainly from myself some colourful language. Um, We talk about lots of different things today so Adam shares his personal journey and what led him to A-game consultancy. And something that I was really surprised at, but I'm really glad he did do it, he shares a really, what I think is a really personal story about what led him to where he is. Um, Actually involving um, intimacy with an ex-partner. And I think that's really brave. I think that's especially for a man to be so open about about that. So yeah, see what you think. Um, He talks about the five stages of change, the compound effect, um, standards and behaviours so many different things um so yeah here's me and adam hindley enjoy my name's adam hindley i am one of the three adams from a game uh, i am the one that focuses primarily on physical health so uh, my background is in uh, being a physiotherapist and personal trainer so i kind of help people more with the physical aspect of their health maybe relationships with exercise relationships with food a little bit as well and um and yeah and I think we're going to kind of dive a little bit more deeper into that today as well to why I do what I do lovely thank you so much sorry (laughs) I did this last time when I was recording with other Adam and I don't think I said this on when we were recording I had a glass of um full sugar no a can of full sugar coke 
and he just introduced himself as like this nutritionist. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of doing the same now. Like you've just introduced yourself all to do about physical health, and I've just scoffed. I think about ten after eight minutes. <laughs> oh god! You're pregnant. You get cravings. It's all right. We'll let you off. <laughs> excuse. That's what I'm using. <laughs> So obviously, I th- well, I'm saying obviously, I'm sure you know that I'm a nurse. Um, so with you saying you're a physio and PT, and I know obviously you've got a game consultancy, which we'll definitely talk a, a bit more about. What kind of one? I always, well, I never understand the link between physio and PT. So were you like an NHS physio full time and then you did your personal training? Like, how did that come about? So I always knew when I went in to do my physio degree that, I didn't want to work in the NHS. Um, I did some placements in there and I, I always did it with the aspect of looking to work in sport. So I never actually went into actually working in the NHS. I did my placements throughout my degree, but I didn't actually go into the NHS in itself. Um, primarily because like when I did placements, it really kind of reiterated it to me that people don't necessarily, they go there a lot of the time, they see physio there a lot of the time because they have to, they don't necessarily want to get better. And that was something that I really didn't like. I wanted to work with people that wanted to progress, that wanted to improve. So I finished university and I went straight to working in a gym environment, being a physio in a gym. And uh, then that just led hand in hand to me learning a lot about exercise and then getting my PT qualification from that. But a lot of the time, the issues with people are that they finish physio, but they don't know how to take the physio exercises that they've got and use them in the gym and use them in more of a real life situation of like, there isn't a crossover. There's a gap between the two. Mm. So I take the physio based exercises and go like, okay, well, this is how we make them functional. This is how we use them in a gym capacity. This is how we make you progress in longer term with the right exercises. Because one of the sayings that gets thrown a lot around in the NHS, not like not bashing the NHS by this in any means, but it's back to baseline, get this person back to baseline. And I don't like that at all. I think that why should anyone want to be at a baseline? It sounds horrible. <laughs> like you want to thrive, you want to progress even further. So that's where my kind of take on it comes is like, yes, we'll get you back to baseline, but that's just a stepping stone. And then we'll get you a lot further as well, rather than it just being, yep, let's get you good enough so you can walk and then out the door kind yeah. of thing. So that's that's where my kind of um, passion around making people progress that little bit further has come from rather than it being kind of the the baseline element of things yeah I mean first of all don't worry about bashing the NHS because it's literally the whole reason I started this podcast (laughs) (laughs) work in the NHS can come on and have a big rant about everything that's wrong with it which we know is (laughs) um but I really like how you just said that about because because obviously being in the NHS it's so true and that is because the, the resources that the NHS have it is literally just let's get you back to baseline and get you out the door like get you out as quick as possible we don't have the resources mm. to to improve people and I think it's actually I really like your honesty and how like brutal you are about um oh baby brain this is what happened <laughs> you said about um wanting to work with people who want to get better and want to yeah. improve whereas like you say again in healthcare a lot of people have kind of been forced to go there because it's not it's not usually a choice is it or yeah well Mm. it's not a choice yeah well it's like a lot of the time like um 
a lot of people want the band-aid, they want the pill, they want something that's going to take the pain away, they don't want to put in the work. And I honestly believe, and I'm sure one of the Adam, the other Adams has mentioned this as well, because we use this phrase all the time, that you're never going to see consistent lasting change unless you've had enough pain. You need to get to a point of where you've had enough pain. And we often ask this to people, is like, well, have you had enough pain yet? Is this, not, is really, is this really not serving you anymore? Because if you can't do the exercise that you love because you've got a pain in your hip, have you had enough pain with that yet? Has that set you back enough? Because if it hasn't and you're just going to do this half-assed, then we're not going to see the results. It's not going to be beneficial for me. It's not going to be beneficial for you. So you need to really kind of ask a person and have that honest conversation. Have you had enough pain yet? Because if the answer is yes, then sweet, let's get to work. But if it's not, you're not going to make the changes. Because the why that you the why that you attach to it isn't big enough, so it is brutal. But sometimes we've got to have these brutal conversations with ourselves. We've got to have these brutal conversations with clients to be like, like, yes, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to make these changes. And a lot of the people in the NHS that may their day to day life may be that they sat around and watching TV all day, but when they stand up three times a day to go to the toilet, the knee hurts a little bit. So the GP referred them to physio. Then the knee pain is not enough pain isn't that doesn't make them in enough pain to actually do the rehab and actually do the exercises that they need to do. So they're not going to progress. Hence why I'm not really too bothered about working with the people like that. Mm. I want to work with the people that want to progress. Like, I mean, being in private practice, I've worked with everybody from your average Joe's. Like I had a guy in the gym who were 82 years old, but the idea is he wanted to progress. Yeah. And then I had, I've had Olympic athletes and stuff, and I've been work, I've worked with people to that level of things as well that just want the fine little biomechanical tweaks to make them that little bit better. Mm. But it's it's all about kind of the perception of it. And the whole idea of what a game is about is you fix your mind and your body follows. So we figure out your why, we figure out have you had enough pain yet? We really have these difficult conversations and then we progress if I can fix your mind and I can make you do the exercises, I can make you stick to whatever we're doing, then we're going to see results because everybody yo-yos, everybody yo-yos up and down. And like I say, going into kind of stories and stuff, which I'm sure we'll t- touch on in a little bit, my story is the epitome of yo-yo dieting and losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight kind of thing. Oh, let's go straight on to that now because that is the story of my life as well. And I always, I think as a woman, I always find it really interesting when it's when it's coming from a man and a man's perspective because you do predominantly hear kind of diet culture and yo-yo dieting like the marketing aimed predominantly at women and it mainly impacting women but I'm starting to kind of learn a little bit more that that isn't necessarily always the case and actually a lot of men suffer from the exact same kind of unhealthy culture and unhealthy patterns so what was your I'm mm. dying to hear what what stupid diets you did because I guarantee I did them all as well so tell me a little bit more about your <laughs> like your relationship with food and diet yeah yeah, well, growing growing up, um, my mum and dad have always been brilliant to me. They've been great to me. They give me everything that I've, I've wanted. I'm not coming back from like a, not like overly middle class, but like lower to middle class kind of kind of background. It's not, I'm not saying anything about that. But what happens is, and I think this is a very societal thing. And I think it goes back from when like grandparents was kids in the war kind of thing is that you often get told when you're a kid, it's like, oh, you can't leave the table or you can't have any dessert until you finish all your food. And then so 
technically you're being rewarded for overeating by being given more food. Mm. So this leads you to having a mindset of that if I overeat, I'm then rewarded. So this is something that happened to me and this was very repetitive and it caused me to have issues around binge eating and I developed an emotional attachment to food whenever I was sad or whenever I was uh, kind of upset or things like that. The things I go to is food because if I overeat, I'm rewarded for it. And this is kind of a mental. Were you also, if you were happy or had something to celebrate, you would celebrate and reward yourself with food? Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like basically every emotion resulted in a a meal of some sort. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's it. And that's where it comes from. And again, I think it goes back from when our grandparents were kids that they um, and it was in the wartime and there was like food rations and stuff like that. They were literally told, make sure you eat all your food because they don't know when the next meal's coming or they don't know when they're going to have the next like bit of food. So mm-hmm. this is kind of the sayings and the actions have been stigmatized and they've lasted through generations. But now we've got an abundance of food and it's not like we're struggling for the next meal. So we don't need to start. We don't need to overeat, but it's still a societal norm that comes into play. So I think that there's a lot of people out there and a lot of a high percentage of men and a lot of people that are overweight that do struggle with the binge eating mentality and the binge eating kind of emotional attachment with food that just don't talk about it. And I think I'm in one of these kind of earlier brackets of men that's talking about the past of what what happened with it because it is definitely something that I've struggled with and that I definitely do um I do have challenges with still now it's not something that you just get over and fix but when you bring awareness to it and you start thinking about your mindset towards it a little bit more that's the shift that you can you can really go on to but basically growing up through my teenage years this was always been a thing for me and I had my first relationship a proper relationship when I was 16 years old, between 16 and 19. And actually when I was 18 years old, I'd kind of gone through a cycle where I'd put on a fair bit of weight. And my girlfriend at the time, we was in bed together doing the deed. And she actually started crying when we were doing the thing. And obviously we stopped and asked her why. And it was the fact that she didn't find me physically attractive anymore. And she told me this in the moment. So as an 18 year old lad hearing that is like a, a knife in the chest kind of feeling okay, so obviously true. yeah and it wasn't like a lot of people often say like what did you lose did you lose your like did you lose your head did you have like a big argument with her like what what went on and I'm like well no like she was in a position of where she was so upset <laughs> about this and she'd been holding this back and didn't want to say anything about it for god knows how long and she said it so i were kind of really like empathetic in the moment about it and stuff and i were like well i appreciate the fact that you've told me this obviously the circumstances are not ideal but that has kind of a deeper rooted kind of thing and we didn't split up from it we were still together for like a good like six months more before going to university and going separate ways but it was obviously a very, very tough thing to hear and it hurt a lot. So I initially like straight away, like tried to change it. And this was like, this was the shift that changed my emotional attachment to excessive dieting and um, like over the top exercise. And I think that this can be just as toxic sometimes for a lot of people is like people that struggle with binge eating. They don't fix the issue because the thing, if I get fit and healthy, I'll fix the issue. No, they go to a restrictive diet in tracking calories, 
absurd amount doing keto doing intermittent fasting atkins diet whatever the diets are that they do they end up doing all these things whilst excessively exercising and i lost i lost the weight quite quick and i looked and i looked better for it and everything was everything was good but again up here wasn't right my head wasn't right mm. so i then went to university and as you do when you go to uni it involved a lot of drinking a lot of going out and and all of these other things are playing a lot of sport. And when you play sport at uni, it means that you do a lot more drinking and everything else, socializing and stuff. So I ended up putting a lot more weight back on because the habits around the exercise changed. So my emotional attachments went back to, to food and booze mm. and that kind of thing. And then uh, I'd go home, like the end of the year, and in my first year, I'd go home, I'd get back onto the health kick and I'd lose the weight again. And then... Um, and then again, I went back to uni, the same thing happened, but this time I started working in a bar as well. So alcohol got involved even more. So I was working in a bar three nights a week, and then I was going out three nights a week, pretty much. So there was a lot of drinking, a lot of t- takeaways and a lot of things like that involved. And um, yeah, it just kind of kept, um, I kept putting the weight on, I kept putting the weight on. And then when I were at my biggest, I would say I was about six, maybe six stone overweight. Um, I mean, overweight, what is overweight? It didn't really, it didn't really matter, but I'd say about six stone to lose to be at like a healthy, a healthy, a healthy level. And this is where the last shift happened. So I have, I have a picture on my Instagram. You have to scroll down a little bit if people went on to see it, but basically it's, I'm doing a straw pedo with a bottle of wine. If you don't know what a straw pedo is, it's like <laughs> a, you put a straw in the bottle and the, the straw lets the air out. So the what liquid comes out quicker when you're down in it. So I was doing that with a bottle of wine and I had my shirt off and I was doing it with all the rugby lads that I played rugby with at uni. And um, yeah, I'm just holding this bottle of wine whilst I'm strawpedoing in it. And it's like, this is like the moment where I'm like, I am done with this. Like I am, I am done with uh, this kind of, this kind of lifestyle. And um, that was the moment that I shifted, but, and I thought that I'd, I'd fixed everything using air quotes, but um you, you don't you don't fix these kind of things you manage it you learn to manage it you don't fix it and I thought I'd shifted to exercise for the final time so what I did was um over the next 18 months I lost five and a bit stone so around 30 kilograms and went from this overweight person to competing in a bodybuilding competition so I were like sub five percent body fat ripped to like really chiseled and it wasn't until the day after the competition when I ate 10,000 calories that I realized, okay, like the emotional attachments just shifted again. I haven't actually done any of the inner work. I haven't done any of the, the work to help me kind of deal with the eating disorder. I had done any of the work to help me deal with my relationship with exercise and my relationship with restrictive dieting and calorie counting and all this kind of stuff. I haven't done any of that. I've just kept shifting from side to side. So this is over, this is over a, like an eight year period of when that first happened with the girlfriend into competing on the bodybuilding stage. And it's like fluctuating back and forth, back and forth over eight years to then finally realizing that I actually have to do the work on my mental health. I have to start taking my mental health a lot more seriously to then develop my relationship with exercise and with, with food in the right way. So what did that that, look like for you, though? Like, at what point 
how, like, how do you even know what the first step to take is in reference to that? Yeah, so this is this is it, and this is the kind of bit that I, I always come on to now is that everybody wants a hundred percent, like a hundred percent fix. So you want the kind of perfect routine, you want the perfect supplements, you want the perfect workout plan that's going to make you sustainably lose the weight, but really quick. And it's not about a six week or an eight week or an anything program like that. It's about starting now. If someone comes to me and went, I want, uh, I want, I'm going on holiday in eight weeks time and I want to be, have a beach body ready by then. I'd be like, no, forget this holiday. Let's get you better for every holiday after that. Because everybody wants it too quick. And that was my issue as well, that I wanted it too quick. So I'm like, okay, well, what can I start doing that's going to take take me to the, the right places and get my head to the right place and then help my relationship with exercise and food that little bit more? And what it was is it's called the 1% rule. And um, there's a great book called The Compound Effect. And people that are into like money or um, money or investing or anything like that will know what the compound effect is. It's the fact that if I was to give you a million pounds and you had a million pounds right now, or I give you a penny that doubled itself every single day for the next 30 days, which one would you take? Oh, yeah. A lot of the time. Yeah, a million pound. I'm sure everybody says that, don't they? Yeah, a million pound. But the actual, if you take the penny that doubles every single day, you end up with like three and a half million pounds by the end of it, by the end of the 30 days. So it's like, stop looking for the perfect million pound deal right now and start taking the penny that's going to double every single day. So it's the 1% rule. So you do an action every single day that's going to help you progress 1%. So I don't want anyone to think diet starts on Monday. I'm going to have the perfect plan. I'm going to have the perfect exercise routine. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to drink loads of water. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to do all that because that your lifestyle and everyone's lifestyle doesn't account for that. It never does. You need to build in these habits slowly and steadily. And this is um, everything that like we, we teach at A-game. It's, like, it's not about a, a short-term fix. It's not about getting you right for the next eight weeks or losing weight over eight weeks. It's sustainable, lasting change. Get your mind right and let your body be a byproduct. I tell the majority of people to throw your scales out. It doesn't matter what you wear. Your weight doesn't define you as a person. Like Too many people hold on to the number on the scales and they'll let that, let that define their mood. And it really shouldn't because it doesn't matter. Like I, I, when I was competing and I did my bodybuilding prep, I weighed myself every single day for over 30, uh, sorry, 23 weeks in the lead up to the competition every single morning. And I was in a bad mood if I'd put on weight mm. and they let the weight define me and it defined my mood, it defined my happiness and it's just no way to live. <clears throat> so you need to, you need to really make sure that you're doing the 1% things like, am I just drinking enough water today? Have I got a water bottle? Am I carrying a water bottle with me just so I can drink enough water? The next day it's like, oh, actually I'm drinking a bit more water. I'm just going to make sure I get my eight hours of sleep or seven and a half hours of sleep, whatever it may be. The next day it may be, I'm going to actually just go out for a walk, five minute walk on first thing on a morning and whatever, or just doing a slight little bit rather than I'm going to go out and run a 5k can you go rook? Can you go walk for five minutes? And then the next day, can you go walk for 10 minutes? The day after that, or just a slight jog, just kind of a, a lamp, lamp post, lamp post, walk a little bit, lamp post, lamp post, whatever. 
and you progress and you build up that way. So you don't even notice the incremental change, but you're following the compound effect. So you're going up, you're going up, you're going up, you're going up, and suddenly you're going to take off because that's how it that's how it works. If you start doubling, double like doing the one percent every single day kind of thing, and going back to that penny rule, and <clears throat> that's the way that you you do it and you make the sustainable change. Because again, I'm not sure if the other boys, have the other, have any of the other boys touched on the five stages of lasting change. No, so please continue. <laughs> okay, so the the five stages of change are it basically covers everything that I've I've talked about. So you, if you haven't got all five of these stages, then I don't believe you're going to make lasting sustainable change. So the first point is always been painfully aware that you need to make a change. Using the weight example, someone a partner may say that they're not finding you as, as attractive as you was before it may be that your favorite shirt that you wear all the time now doesn't fit you it may be that you just got out of the shower you look at yourself in the mirror and you hate what you're seeing back it needs to be like not i just want to get abs to go to go on holiday that's not deep enough it doesn't it doesn't hurt enough you don't it doesn't make you have enough pain you need to you need to have something that's going to be a deeper why that's going to actually really get you motivated to do it because you are going to be motivated to start with, but then when that motivation goes away, you need something to look back on to really get you fired up to keep going and to keep you um, to keep the momentum going and the momentum building. So the point one is what is the pain, the painful thing that you're going to focus on? What is the why? The point two is you need to make a decision. So often a lot of the time when we say the diet starts Monday, that's normally a decision. Or if you get in touch with a coach, you've made a decision to change, but you need to make that choice. But uh, there's a little bit of a riddle here. So if there's five frogs on a log and four of them decide to jump off, how many frogs are left on the log? I can't even remember my name. <laughs> so with the with the riddle there is um there's still five frogs on the log because a decision means nothing on its own oh, so like <laughs> so a decision <laughs> means nothing like if if i decide i could decide to turn this podcast off right now and walk out the room if i've decided to do it, i'm not going to do it because it doesn't mean nothing because it's just a decision um so there that's point one and point two then point three is have you got a strategy what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? If your diet starts on Monday, then what, what happens on Monday? Like, do you know what you're doing? Like, is it, are you just going to, oh, my, I'm just going to eat less on Monday. Monday's going to come and I'm just going to eat less, but you haven't done your shopping. You haven't got your exercise plan. You haven't got anything that you need in place. You haven't decided, you have, you've made the decision, but you haven't got the strategy in place. Mm. So you need a strategy. You need the right strategy that's going to suit your life and it's going to be uh, consistent for you. Then point four is accountability because the only person that you can't lie to is yourself, but the easiest person to lie to is also yourself. Mm. So it's easy to say, um, oh yeah, I've had a really tough day. I don't, I don't want to go to the gym today. Oh yeah, I can't really be bothered cooking. So I'll, I'll get that takeaway. But then you're the only person that knows that, okay, that's a lie. I'm actually lying to myself. I could go to the gym. I could cook that healthy food you're you're making that excuse and you're making that lie up in your head so it's really easy to do to yourself it's really easy to lie to yourself but it's also you're the also the only person that you can't lie to because you always know the truth about what you've really done or not done mm -hmm. um so having 
uh, some element of external accountability. So someone outside of yourself, a colleague, a friend, um, a, a coach, someone like that, someone who can help you and hold you accountable to whatever your, your goal might be is really important and is really, really kind of the thing that's going to hold a lot of it together. Because like I say, when the motivation goes away, you need that momentum and you need that discipline. Sometimes we're not all self-disciplined enough to do it. So you need that external kick. And then the final and last point, the point number five is to take massive imperfect action. So this is, if we always wait for all the ducks to be in a row, they're never going to be in a row. They always fly in a V, they never fly in a row. <laughs> so it's like, we need to take the action now and we need to like start now and get perfect later. And you need like, often people will just, oh yeah, well, I'm going to wait because I've got Christmas coming up and then there's this do, and then I've got that christening to go to and then there's that or whatever. And you, you're making all these kind of situations in your mind. So I'll start after that and I'll get going after I've done this. It's like, no, no, now, <laughs> now, like tomorrow, drink some more water and that's tomorrow done. That's, that's it. And then you go on to the next day. And it start now and get perfect later is, is a great, great way of looking at it. And if you take them five points seriously, so you, you find out what's your painful why, what is going to really motivate you to make the change. You make a decision to change. You need to make that decision. You get the right strategy in place. You get someone to be accountable to external to yourself. Then you actually start to take massive imperfect action and actually work towards it then you're going to make lasting change. That's going to be the sustainable trick to make change. And that's what I did over the over that next period. It was small incremental changes. So right now, for me, like in it from an exercise point of view, rather than my exercise being to um to be happy with the number on the scales, I exercise to perform. So now I um, compete in other elements. I compete in CrossFit and stuff. So my my focus is based on how well I'm performing, how well I'm moving. It's not but based on what is my weight saying on the scales. So for me, that was a big shift. So I started focusing on something external. It doesn't have to be CrossFit. It could be uh, um, you could do like a half marathon if you wanted to. It could be a tough mudder or something like that. But you have something external. Like if you're curious about something explore that curiosity and really like work towards a physical goal like that, which can then help all these other small habits fall into place. So when I started training like this and training in this specific way, I found that my relationship with food got better because I'm not focusing on more the weight on the scales. My actual routine got better because I'm actually eating enough. So now I want to recover, right? So I'm doing my stretching. I'm doing my mobility work because this helps me perform. So it's, all of the small little things that like improve your diet, improve your exercise, improve your water intake, improve your sleep, improve your recovery. They all base around kind of an external bigger goal, but you take the small steps every single day to work towards that. So I think that that in itself is, is where I'm at right now, but the whole premise of it is the 1% rule. It's just going 1% little bit, little bit by little bit, 1% better every single day rather than focusing on it being I'm just going to go from nothing to everything yeah. and that's where a lot of people do go wrong oh 100% I mean the two things that are sticking out in my head is one I think like you said about everybody wants it now they want it in eight weeks they want to lose five stone in eight weeks or or whatever their goal is and that's 
again, it's a generation thing and a society thing because we do get everything we want now. We can mm. order things for same day delivery. We can contact people across the other side of the world within seconds. Like everything is available to us at our fingertips immediately. And I don't think that helps. I think that contributes to this, you know, wanting it all now. And I think what I really like about you guys is you, all of your emphasis is on health it, and you've not even referred to or kind of made any reference to a specific body type or weight. So somebody's goal could be, like you say, it's it, the emphasis is on their health. But again, and I'm sure you'll agree, because I'm sure you're probably around the same age as me, like our generation, the generations below us, it's everybody's so self-obsessed in, in a way I can't think of my words this is what I mean like I just lose my vocabulary but obviously like the Instagram world and filters and what we look like physically and and I'm guessing you probably see quite a lot of that where people come to you because they want to look a certain way where it's encouraging them to think about, about their health and I know there is a direct correlation with weight and health and you know the obesity epidemic or whatever they call it now and all of that but ultimately that people can be you know quotations what mm. they called um overweight but still be actually really healthy or be healthier than a really slim or slender or skinny person so just uh, yeah. yeah yeah i think it's it's a lot like i mean i don't like uh, when i say this people often uh, some people don't like it but i believe that there's an obesity mindset mm. and again it comes back to the fact of that I've always been like this, so I always will be like this. And it comes down to your to your vision for yourself and your behaviors and your standards for yourself. Because there's a, there's a saying around, if you have champagne standards, uh, sorry, if you have champagne vision and beer standards and behaviors, you'll never be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And if you have beer, beer vision and then champagne standards and behaviors, you're still never going to be fulfilled because nothing's going to line up. So you need to have, honestly sit down, and this is a task that I'd, I'd ask anybody to do, and I think that anyone listening should do this, is take out a pen and paper and write down what is my vision for my health, my mind, my career, and um, my relationships. What is my vision for them? So what do you want? What is your vision for your body? What is your vision for your mind? What is your vision for your career? What is your vision for your relationships? And then write down... Um, the standards and behaviors that you need to acquire that vision. And then, so honestly, it's like, if your vision for your body is to be ripped with six pack abs, then the standards and behaviors are going to be meal prepping. I'm going to have to say no to friends and family about going out. Um, or I'm going to have to limit my my consumption of meals when I go out or whatever. And then my behaviors are going to be, I'm going to have to get up really early and go to the gym every day. I'm going to make sure everything's sorted and prepped. I'm going to make sure I'm doing this and doing that. And then if your behaviors right now don't align to that, then you know, you're not going to be fulfilled. Mm. So it's, it's making sure that this isn't, a, and this isn't a thing to have a go at you and say like, look at what you're doing now. It's crap. It's a way of going like, well, we need to change the vision or we need to change the behaviors because it's not adding up. It's you're not, you're not going to get to that end result that you want. Yeah. So it's like in the relationship, for example, it's like if your relationship is, I want to be a great dad and husband, but then your behaviors is I'm going out 
every Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday with the lads to go play snooker and watch football, then again, your actions aren't lining up with your behaviors. So your vision isn't lining up with your behaviors. So it's, it's, it's just a great exercise to see kind of where you're at right now and then developing on it a little bit further about kind of how and what behaviors are going to actually get you to your desired outcome, really. I love that. I love that you've just not only referred to, oh, yeah, your behaviors don't align. It's also, well, actually, is it your vision that's wrong? Like, and looking at why mm. people think they want, why that's their vision. So using your example of being ripped and having a six pack, why is that your vision? Why is that important to you? If you can't maintain, yeah. you know, those actions required to achieve that, why do you want to achieve that? Like what? And I think that, that yeah, that's really important because I think we think we mm. want a lot of things, but actually, like you say, when you start delving into what you need to achieve it, do we really want that vision in the first place? Yeah, and this is a lot of the work that uh, we do, and we we help people with the air game. It's like it's deciding on what you really want, and then going from there because. We, there's, a, there's a saying in, in marketing, which is sell people what they want and then give them what they need. And that is exactly what we do. You don't, what you, what you want right now isn't what you need. Mm. It, it never is. Every the majority of people come to us thinking they're going to spend a hell of a lot of time with me working on the physical health stuff. When realistically, it's like the mindset's knackered. They really need to help the mindset and the relationship with themselves and build that up. And then the exercise comes into play and the body becomes a byproduct. So that's, that's always the case of like what people want is the want to lose weight and they want to be more, feel like they want to be more attractive. What they actually need is to sort out the relationship with themselves and realize why am I actually focusing on this, um, on this outcome of me being ripped with six pack abs when I'm actually not in a position where I actually want that in my life anymore. I don't want the restrictions. I don't want them behaviors. So it's it's all about kind of changing. If you change the vision that little bit and you can change your vision and then your behaviors suit it, then you're going to be fulfilled. You're going to be a lot more fulfilled in your life. And it it's crazy because the amount of times people realize that, that's why I say I split up into them four different categories, is the career one is the big one. People don't realize that they're just not fulfilled in the career at all. Yeah. And they, they really start to think about, well, what actually fulfills me day to day? It's like, I personally believe you only get one shot at this thing called life. And are you really doing something that is going to fulfill you right now for your career? And if you're not, what steps can you do to, to change that and make you progress into the right direction? Mm. Yeah. And that's insanely relatable to me because I'm on my fourth job role in 18 months because I am a big believer in if I'm not fulfilled, if this isn't bringing me any any joy at all, I'm off. And people yeah. often make comments or see it as a negative. And I've talked on the podcast before about it, but we we're not here for you know we're not here forever. Why why do I want to spend forty hours a week with people that make me unhappy or in an environment that makes me unhappy or carrying out a role that makes me unhappy? It's just not worth it. Like we have we have to work. Unfortunately, we. I mean, I don't think anybody actually wants to, but mm. I'm not spending 40 hours a week of my life unhappy by choice. So, yeah. I'm yeah, that's no, exactly it. It's like your environment is so important. Like you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, whether you like it or not. Mm. Whether these people are negative, whether these people are positive, it's the people that you surround yourself with is who you're going to become. And 
sooner that people kind of realize that and accept that it's then they can start to take the actions a little bit more seriously when it comes to um okay well that actually that environment that working environment in this toxic office where everyone's moaning about the weather and covid maybe that's not actually serving me i want to actually spend time with people that are going to have ideas and create plans and stuff and not just moan about what they went on and tell everyone about the kfc they had for tea last night or something it's <laughs> it's not it's not serving you in in the the best way possible and it's not to say that these people are bad people that are in your environment it's just that they're not serving you for your current goals right now it's really, that's, it's that's often me, the case it's making me chuckle because i left a really good job really well-paid role I wasn't clinically nursing, I wasn't stressed or anything like that, but I was in an office environment, which I absolutely hated, where the small talk made me feel mentally unwell because I just couldn't cope. And that's what mm. makes me laugh when you said about the weather. I used to come home every day like, people were talking about the weather again in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> it just, I'm a partner, just, he, Sam did not get it. He was just like, he'd be like, you're a psycho. Like, that's just what it, you do, you you have small talk with mm. people. You can't just have big, deep conversations over the kettle in, you know, in a kitchen, in an office. And I was like, I just don't want to talk about the weather anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I understand that it's, there's places like that that exist. And some people are happy with that. Like, like uh, you, you think about kind of uh, everything, that p things that people crave, like we crave certainty. And some people crave certainty around finances. So if you're craving certainty around finances and you've got a nice stable salaried job with a good income, and this is something that's really important to you, then great. But then there's other people that crave massive amounts of variety. And I'm one of them people that I crave variety in my, in my job. So like today I'm on a podcast tomorrow, I'm doing some programming. I might be going to a networking event. I might be talking at a corporate event. It's I've got variety and I crave that in my job. So it's like having the awareness around that of what you want, you truly want. Cause what I want and what someone else wants and what you want is completely different. Mm -hmm. So you need to, you can't get someone to just tell you, this is what you want and this is what you need to do. You need to be able to, to do the work, do the vision exercise that we talked about. And you can, you can actually get down to some of the, the real, the real answers with it really, because these are the bits that uh, people don't do and they inner work that people don't do that they really need to do. So like I say, it's, when people work with us, they tend to come come to us with what they want, which tends to be losing weight, and then they leave with what am I actually going to be fulfilled doing for the rest of my life kind of thing. It's pretty, it gets pretty deep sometimes. Yeah, but I bet that's so rewarding. Like, I bet you absolutely love that element of it, like, because it isn't just, oh, we're going to do this six-week training program and you're going to lose a stone. It It is life-changing, isn't it? It is, I bet it was mm. really rewarding. And have you had clients where... It, it has had that huge impact on their life yeah well we had we do a we do a with all our clients we're massive on community so we do a weekly group training every week where we get everyone who's on our coaching program to come together and we we do like breakout rooms and stuff and getting people to be accountable with each other together in that community so we did it happened to everyone in the week and three people out of the about 15 that were on the call this week round went, yeah, I've left my job. I've got a new job. And we're like, Jesus Christ, everybody's quitting the jobs. <laughs> but it's, it was so good that people are starting to take action on finding things that are fulfilling them. Mm -hmm. Like 
like going, leaving that kind of corporate EIT setting, whatever it may be, and going, I actually want to help people get through what I've been through. And one, like one of the guys is going to be a coach and he's going to start doing that. The other guy was like, I absolutely love like going to the theater and like watching plays. So now he's got a job at the theater. Might not be his, his end job, but he were like, I absolutely love doing, being in this environment. So mm. it was a step away from working in a corporate office environment. And then one of the other women's like, I've set my own business up for a while, but I've finally taken the leap and I'm going to go all in on it. And it's like, this is, this is great to see that people are actually like taking the steps towards being truly fulfilled. It's great. Oh, I love that. And I think in my head as well, I'm thinking it probably because of everything else you guys all put into your, your coaching with them all, even if they fail at it, even if it's not successful, it's or, or whatever they imagine to be successful. I bet, I bet even their mindset around that has changed that they don't feel, they don't feel like it's a failure. Do you know what I mean? Like it probably changes yeah, their, yeah. Whole, their whole perception on actually, well, I tried it and no, it might not have worked out, but I'm not stuck in that office still. I've tried something new and they probably just get, yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? There's, there's, yeah. There's something called the quitting mindset. And it's, it's like, I mean, I don't like the word quit. You never, you know, unless, I mean, you, obviously you can quit something. I'm sorry. I don't like the word fail. It's like, I don't feel like you fail. You learn. So like you learn a mm-hmm. lesson, like it may be that, um, for example, there was someone who, on our team we're like i'd actually really love to be a football coach and then we're like okay well they went to a a kind of a a sunday league thing sunday league team and whatever and they went and and they're like i absolutely hate this so it's like it's okay it's cool have the quitting mindset then so you've tried something you've explored it and you've learned that it isn't for you so you can go on to the next thing and you can explore something else it's not it's the quitting mindset is not a bad thing it's no. like if you try something and it's not for you, you've learned that it's not for you. You haven't failed in that aspect of your life. And it's like one of the best things that you can ever ask anyone is what is the worst case scenario? So like for me right now, working in a game and doing a game as a, as a business, what is my worst case scenario if the business felt folded tomorrow? Okay, well, I'm a qualified physiotherapist with other over nearly seven years experience, I could probably walk into a private practice physio job on 45 grand a year is my worst case scenario. It's not a bad worst case scenario. So it's, if you've, as long as you've got that in mind and you know what it is, like one of the guys that left his job is like um, a project manager in IT. It's like, yeah, I'd know that I'd be able to get my job back well quick if I needed it. Okay, so that's your worst case scenario is that you can get back the job to get some money to try something else. It's, it's having that, having that conversation with yourself again. And all this is inner work. It's like, you can't, you can have people like, we always say that we ask better, we ask better questions to get better answers. It's not about you should do this. You should do that. You should quit your job now. It's like, no, it's your choice. It's your decision. Like I'm never, ever going to say to someone, no, that person that you're in a relationship isn't right for you because that's not my decision to make. But if you're coming to me every single week going, oh yeah, my, my relationships, shit, we're arguing again. It's making me feel crap. Then it's like, okay, well, why is this happening? Why is that happening? Is it you? Is it them? And then you can start working out, uh, working out some more of the issues around it. But um, again, yeah, it's like, we all stick to our remits in a sense, but as you can probably guess, it's like, 
even though my background is the physical health stuff, mm. there's still a hell of a lot of mindset involved in that. And then vice versa with the other guys, like um, say Adam Smith, who does more like the life coaching, mental health side of it. He may be helping people overcoming the reasons of why they feel anxiety in the gym all the time, why they can't go, go do these specific exercises or why they can't stick to the diet. And then the same with Mayhew. It's like, it's all intertwinable and it all works really well, I feel. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review. It does make a really big difference. Check out the show notes. There's lots of helplines and websites available to utilise, whether it's for yourself, a loved one, a colleague. Make sure you have a look at those. Anything Adam mentioned um, during the episode, I'll link to. So any books, podcasts, things like that. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Mad Moon Podcast or you can email me, themadmoonpodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. So I will see you hopefully for the next episode, final episode of A Game Consultancy and the trio of Adams. Take care.